Hello and welcome to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. We're in the studio again for our third and final special episode to celebrate Pride Month. And with me is Professor Mishek Piskorski. Welcome, Mishek. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Mishek is a professor of digital strategy, analytics and innovation and dean of IMD Asia and Oceana. He works with companies across the globe to support them through digital transformation, but we'll be leaving that to another episode. In this episode of our new season, I spoke with Alexander Fleischmann about the history of LGBTQ plus research, and in episode two to Robert Hoiberg about the importance of being an ally in the workplace. Today, Mishek is here to discuss the flip side of that, how to create allies. And Mishek, we discussed this briefly before we got into this recording. Can you just tell me why it's so important? So one of the key reasons why this is important is that the power locus in any organization really lies outside of the LGBTQ community. So you do need to, to have those in power to advocate on behalf of those who are not in power for equal recognition, for equal power and for equal ability to advance in the organization, regardless of who they are. And this process is actually quite fraught with problems because I think many people in positions of power would be more than delighted to extend allyship to others, to LGBTQ community included, but there are significant costs to doing so for the privileged ones. It does have a little bit of energy associated with it that makes a lot of allies to be a little bit afraid or scared to be allies. So I think much of what we want to discuss is how do we get allies to feel okay to be allies without any fear, without any constraints on their side so they can potentially live up to what they truly want to do. And so let's get into that a little bit more, the fear, the constraints on people feeling like they can enter into these conversations. How do you start talking to people about allyship? Do you use personal experiences? Are you trying to create a safe space through the experiences of others? Or are you broaching this in some other way? So I think it's important to recognize that not everybody has the same issues with becoming allies. I personally always think that the most important thing to do is to enable heterosexual men to be allies. And that comes stems from a lot of situations that I've observed in many organizations where heterosexual men who are trying to become allies might in some ways risk a little bit of their own identity, social identity, by becoming allies. So very often you hear a situation where a straight man is involved in support for gay community and he himself might be then thought about as being gay, but in closet. And I think very often when situations like this occur, there's some sort of conversations and and back channel conversations that are taking place. And then people discover, oh, so-and-so has a gay son. And maybe that's why he is much more involved in equal rights for everybody. But I think what we really want to do is we want to start creating situations where everybody feels that they're absolutely okay to talk about equal rights and equal rights for LGBTQ plus community without risking any of the sort of quote unquote accusations that they themselves might be part of this community have not been able to come out. And when this works, it works phenomenally well. And I have had the privilege of working with many leaders who 
you know, straight, uh, male. They have nothing to hide. And they're really all about social justice and equal rights for everybody. And when they power through this, they actually get an enormous amount of recognition from everybody, and both from gay community, but also from straight community, that really saying, look, here is somebody who's a truly an inspirational leader, capable of driving rights for everybody, right? And, and it's sort of inclusion for everybody. And so what we need to do is, is really to spend a tremendous amount of time with leaders, helping them create that aura about themselves, creating that ability to see that when they do that, they will actually be seen as larger than life. And what this will probably practically mean is that they will have to actually support all sorts of equalities, right? So it cannot be only LGBTQ rights. It has to be women's rights. It has to be ethnic minorities' rights. It has to be people with different amounts of bodily ability and different backgrounds. So, so, so you really are seeing as this leader who's driving for social inclusion. And that, to me, is the most important thing that I always convey to people is you have to be seen as this social justice warrior and social justice leader that really brings equality for everybody. And, you know, we're talking about bringing these changes to workplaces. Do you ever discuss the business case for inclusivity in these conversations? You know, how inclusive workplaces are likely to attract top talent, foster creativity and innovation, or just have better employee satisfaction and retention? I'm always very wary of making these sorts of arguments because, as I alluded to earlier on, I do see this as a more of a social justice issue than an economic benefit issue. And so I often tell people, let's emphasize that. Let's not go to the business case because one can fundamentally start asking a question of, can you please give me a business case for having a non-diverse, white, male, heterosexual group only? And I think then we just get into these unnecessarily brutal and, and raw discussions that I don't think really cut to the core, right? Because it really is about our responsibility to people around us to be able to grow. And then all the good things follow. But the business case should never, ever be the leading driver for these sorts of things. So let's talk about terminology, about terminology around sexual orientation and gender identity. How does one clarify common misconceptions and stereotypes around that kind of terminology and around people's difficulty in, let's say, updating their language? I think it's a fascinating question. This is one of these areas where, unfortunately, the spectrum of human sexualities and the way they express them, and even the way they express their gender assigned at birth, is so broad and so diverse that I always recommend to people to not to label people too easily and really inquire into who they are and to the extent they feel comfortable, of course, but try not to affix too much of a label to everybody because people's sexualities and the way they express them and people's gender expressions change over a lifetime. And, and then you, we label people then directly. It's, we're trying to sort of reduce the complexity of this into one one label. And I just don't think that works. I, I really don't think that works for anybody's life. And so I think I'm always recommending focusing on the actual behaviors. What is the person doing and what is the person doing now without necessarily also forcing that person to do the same thing 
later or saying, oh, so-and-so was married to somebody and to a woman and now they're married to a man. So spending an incredible amount of time saying, like, who are they? Are they gay? Are they bisexual? Are they, what, what's going on? And I just really focus on saying this is what was happening then and this is what's happening now. And really taking this more sort of a fluid view on, on, on people without necessarily having to label them. You know, you're talking about the changing landscape and also how people's views, their own sense of self-identity change over their lifetime. I'm interested in how, you know, the way this has changed in certain societies is mirrored or perhaps not mirrored in others. You are the dean of IMD Asia and Oceana. You are used to working in companies all around the world globally and in very different cultures. How do you address some of these issues cross-culturally? Are there any things you need to be aware of when you're dealing in a multicultural environment when you're talking about things like LGBTQ plus rights or issues in the workplace? So I think the first thing you need to know is that the societies are actually indeed much, much more open than we think that they are. At the same time, obviously, the topics have different levels of social discourse and some societies are much better at discussing these issues than others. I, my recommendation is always start gently and then look for start for openness and start talking about LGBTQ community in, in very and very open terms and see how far you get. And I also find that the more you discuss friends, colleagues, the more you introduce yourself as a gay person, the easier it becomes for people to compute that LGBTQ plus people are just like everybody else and the only difference is their sexuality and leads to incredible amount of acceptance on a very personal level. I want to turn to something, I want to pick up on something there. You were discussing talking openly. I'm conscious that there are there's a balancing act here. You don't want to, on the one hand, put the responsibility at the feet of people in the LGBTQ plus community and say, it's your job to have other people accept you. But on the other hand, we do know that there are people in workplaces that may not broach subjects because they are either worried about sounding in some way homophobic or just very basically in some way not as up to date as they should be, right? Ignorant or foolish for not knowing what it is to say, how it is they should be expressing themselves. Yeah, how do you approach that? And do you have experience of discussing with people LGBTQ plus issues and finding out that they have themselves felt a little bit overawed, a little bit unsure of themselves to bring this up with you? I think this is a, a very complex process. I think it requires just about every form of interaction that I can think of, right? So I think it is on gay people and LGBTQ plus community to communicate as much as possible. It's on the ally community to basically talk on behalf of the gay community is on straight people to be asking questions and, and inquiring and also witnessing and surrounding themselves with gay people to understand a little bit which some of the salient differences, but perhaps more importantly, understanding the lack of differences. It's on the media to come up with correct portrayals. It's you know, what's happening and what people are reading on the internet written by others. So it really is an overarching process. I don't think this is going to solve everything. And you can easily translate this into an organizational context where you think that how can organizations 
make themselves more inclusive and more open to to gay people. And again, it is a multifaceted pro- process of recruiting a number of uh, gay people into the organization, having a strong network between them so they can support each other, then having ally and ally community and enabling the ally community, having the ally community talk really openly about having gay friends surrounding themselves with LGBTQ plus people. It is having conversations in the organizations. It's displaying symbols in the organization. It's showing different types of support for LGBTQ plus community. So unfortunately, it's not a magic pill that you can swallow and we're done. We really need to uh, engage in a very integrated set of actions here. And as you say, there's no panacea, there's no one route. I'd like to ask, though, what role you think training, formal training in the workplace has when thinking about DE&I training or even just offering, providing resources, books, documentaries, podcasts to people? What role do you think that kind of formal education plays in the workplace or should play? Absolutely. I think it does. But one thing that I really am not a fan of is there is a wave that I'm hoping is coming to an end is really discussing about biases and implicit biases. And whilst I think it's important for people to learn about implicit biases, I actually think it's just much, much more powerful to listen to podcasts about lives of gay people and LGBTQ plus community writ large and just really personalizing what's happening, right? It really goes back to the question about labels, right? Our brains have such an amazing tendency to put a label on things and put people in in a bucket, therefore make them so different from who we are. And it's just shocking when you actually listen to stories about gay people and anybody in the LGBTQ community, and you said, wow, yes, of course, in some fundamental ways, your life is different from mine. And so-and-so had to go through a coming-out process, and the listener did it. But at the same time, you always find very recurring themes. Everybody in their life goes through some sort of uh, version of coming-out process, right? Something that happened in your family, something that didn't happen in your family, some learning disability that you had, something... Uh, we all had to fight something in our lives. And just really listening to how others have overcome their problems and really driving towards similarities and similarities of our experience and similarities of our suffering, I find it to be a much, much more powerful way of integrating versus just saying you must not discriminate or you always discriminate against others and shame on you, right? I don't think that actually gets us to the outcome. Normalization is what I'm always after. Mishak, I've spoken with Alexander Fleischmann about the history of LGBTQ plus research in the workplace with Robert Hoiberg about his journey in becoming an ally. I feel like we've had a good discussion about where we've been and a bit about where you'd like to go. I'd like to talk about the future writ large, the ultimate ideal, the ultimate place you'd like to get to with this. What does that look like as it pertains to LGBTQ plus experiences and issues in the workplace? This might sound a little bit far-fetched, but it would be lovely if everybody was an ally, therefore nobody would be an ally, that, that we would basically normalize the situation as much as possible in the same way that being a member of LGBTQ plus community became almost the same as having blue eyes and green eyes. These are noticeable differences and people with blue eyes often get told their eyes are beautiful and people with 
Dark eyes often get told their eyes are beautiful, and it's a little bit of a fantasy of mine that we're all surrounded by people with blue eyes and black eyes, dark eyes, and we just take these differences for granted, and we said, you know, they're totally and completely inconsequential to anything. And, of course, people with blue eyes will behave one way, people with dark eyes will become differently, but these parallel universes become increasingly intermeshed, so we don't see them anymore. I think that would be fantastic. And in order for us to get there, because the road is still quite long, I do encourage all the allies to start basically even working harder. And the best way to work harder is to really reach out to a broad set of people who are not like them and really make this visible and say, you know, I have a very diverse group of friends and I'm loving it. And I am advocating for equal rights for all types of people. I think that's the most important thing, that it cannot just be one single cause. All these allies have to be allies for the LGBTQ plus community, but they also have to be allies for women, allies for ethnic minorities, and also different people with different levels of ability and disability. And I think that way we really begin to normalize these differences that are haunting us for such a long time. Mishek, I think that's a great place to finish up. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And a reminder for all of our listeners out there, Mishek Piskorski is a professor of digital strategy, analytics and innovation and dean of IMD Asia and Oceana. He works with companies across the globe and you can find out more about his work and his courses at imd.org. See you next time.